Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Well, hey, I want to welcome you to Mercy's service. Listen, if you're newer with us, one of the things that's been um, pretty, pretty great over this season has been the number of people who are just kind of checking into and trying to figure out Mercy Church. Let me tell you, at the core of who we are, we are a people who long for God to bring a gospel awakening into the city of Charlotte, the people of Charlotte, and we want to see that awakening carried all the way to the far ends of the earth. And we believe the way that happens is just one person at a time meeting the true Jesus, the Jesus of Scripture and being changed by him. We have a very simple message. He loves you. He wants you. And we're excited to share that message with you again today. Listen, I'll tell you, uh, as you're watching this here online, I want you to know that what we do have, we do have uh, just the past few weeks, we've begun to gather, if you're in the Charlotte area, we've begun to gather outdoors um, at our Providence Road campus at 10 a.m. And we're trying to do that in a, a safe way, but we think it's important when it's possible for the church to gather together. So I just want to invite you, if maybe you didn't know about it, 10 a.m. Sunday mornings, we're there, uh, and we'd love to have you if you're able to come, all right? You can find out more about that on our website. So get your Bible, hop over to Mark chapter 8. This is part three of a four-part series where we're walking through the gospel of Mark together, or excuse me, just that chapter eight uh, in Mark's gospel. And we've called the series, I Have Decided. I Have Decided. And in this chapter, Jesus brings his disciples to this moment of decision where they got to, they just kind of say, okay, I'm either all in or all out when it comes to Jesus. But before they can say yes to that question, before they can make that decision, there's still a little problem that's been happening in the Gospel of Mark up to this point. And that's that the disciples aren't entirely sure who Jesus really is. I mean, they've been walking with him for a little over a year now, and they've seen him do some amazing things. And there's this moment where he calms a storm, like right in the middle of it, everything stops, and they all just kind of look at each other. And one of them says, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him. Listen, they call him teacher. They call him master. They revere him, but they haven't really had the conversation yet about who Jesus is and whether or not they are all in or all out with him. It's kind of like when I say the conversation, just that it's that DTR conversation. Like when you're dating somebody and it's, it's time to DTR, define the relationship. You know, this is where she goes from that girl that you went on a few dates with to your girlfriend she goes from your girlfriend to your fiance. Some of you, uh, this is going to be pastoral aside, really need to have that conversation. Like that's long overdue, all right? Some of you do not need to have that yet. Don't push too fast, okay? But I'm just saying, some of you probably need to, need to have that. Back in. That's kind of what's happening in Mark chapter 8. Jesus and the disciples have been together for some time. It's time to get real. It's time to define the relationship. That's this week and next. And I'm kind of setting up the this week and next sermon because, listen to me, there are many 
especially if you're in the Charlotte area, in the Bible Belt area, there are many that need to define their relationship with Jesus. It's been pretty ambiguous for a while. If I had to summarize the next two sermons, this, this week and next, into just two questions, it would look kind of like this. Number one, who is Jesus? So we're going to talk about today. Number two, where do you stand with him? Who is he and where do you stand with him? Some of you, you're logging in here legitimately, man, you're seeking help. You're seeking love, you're seeking acceptance, you're seeking a sense of purpose from a higher power. And what today is all about, what Mark 8 has actually already been clear about for two weeks, what scripture is all about, what God's people called the church are to be all about is Jesus. It's Jesus. And maybe you've heard about him, but you've never actually met him. You've ever actually gotten to know him. Maybe you know some stories about him, but you don't know him. Some of you have been with Mercy Church for all five years that we've been here. You're growing in your faith. And what you need today, and you know it, what you need today is not some extra level secret sauce of Christianity. You need more of Jesus. That's who you need. And today in our passage, he's front and center. And I'm hoping, I'm praying with the Lord's help that all the hope that comes with Jesus will fill our hearts over our time today. So if you're newer to Christianity, if maybe a friend sent you this message as a way to kind of introduce you to the faith that means so much to them, the great thing about these next two weeks is we're going to be crystal clear on who Jesus is, and we're going to be brought to a decision point on where do we stand with him. All right, so with that, here's what we do. We just kind of walk through a passage of scripture together so that you can get to know God's word and God can kind of speak to us through it. All right, so Mark 8 verse 27 is where we're going to start. Just picking up from where we were last time, all right? Verse 27. Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road, he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? See, all right, I love this. This is Jesus's gentle way of getting to the heart of the matter in his conversation with them. And it's an important question because he's going to set up a distinction between the disciples and people, right? What do people say that I am? That's going to be different than what his true followers says that he is. And by the way, this moment is a massive plot shift for the whole gospel of Mark. This is the hinge where Mark turns. I mean, if, if Mark had a soundtrack, verses 27, 28 would be when all the music just stops. Everything's real quiet. And then when Peter drops his line in Mark 29, that would be the deep, pensive, close-up, intense music that starts as Peter starts talking, all right? It is this big, I mean, even the, um, like even the setting, Caesarea Philippi, on this road, listen, that's the most northern setting that Jesus is going to travel, right? And everywhere from here, he starts walking south towards Jerusalem, descending down to the cross. This is the turning point in all of Mark's gospel where we're seeing who Jesus really is. And he's drawn a line in the sand and says, where do you stand with him? All right, who do people say that I am? What's the consensus, the consensus guys? What are they saying? Verse 28, they answer him. John the Baptist. Some others say Elijah. Still others say, you know, you're one of the prophets. Now, listen, if you, where this comes from, you go back to Mark 6, you'll read there are rumors that 
John the Baptist, who was a prophet, he came before Jesus to prepare the way for Jesus. Uh, Herod beheads him. But in Mark 6, there are rumors that maybe John the Baptist has kind of resurrected in the form of Jesus. Or Elijah was an Old Testament prophet. He never died. He was taken up into heaven. So maybe God has sent Elijah back down. Or maybe he's one of the other prophets. Uh, You know, John the Baptist, Elijah, both prophets. Their job, along with all the other prophets, had been to prepare God's people to receive God's anointed one. The job of all the prophets in the Old Testament was to speak God's word into the immediate context where they were and then to prepare people for the anointed one. God had a promised savior king that would come. The name was Messiah or Christ is translated into English that would come one day right? God's chosen prophets throughout all the Old Testament. You see this, there's always a prophet showing up who's there to point God's people to speak his word into their time and then point them to the one who is to come to announce the promise of the Savior King. And what Jesus is setting up right here is he's setting up with the disciples. All right, am I another one of those pointing to the one to come or am I the one who has come? I'm telling you, the whole Old Testament sets us up. Genesis 3, you've got God himself prophesying, saying that it is going to be a son of Eve, an offspring of Eve, who is going to come one day and overthrow God's very enemy. He is going to conquer evil with good. You see Genesis 11 and Genesis 15, God talks to Abraham and he says, Abraham, it's one of your sons who will one day be a king who will bless all nations through his care. All right, you see over in Genesis 49, Jacob blesses his son Judah. Everything about the story makes you think that Jacob is going to bless Joseph and Joseph's gonna be the hero and one of Joseph's descendants. But he says, no, it's gonna be through the line of Judah. One day, Judah, one of your sons is going to have a scepter and it's never gonna depart from his hand and he will sit on the throne forever. In Exodus, you have this Passover lamb, right? The Passover lamb who is sacrificed for the sins of the people. But the problem is the people are going to sin again one day, and you see this longing, this need for a Passover lamb who will die once for the sins of all. Deuteronomy 18, you have this great leader in Moses, but then you have this promise that one day someone greater than Moses is going to come and is going to always lead God's people. 2 Samuel 7, we think David is the king, right? David's the king who has come to fulfill these promises, but then he falls short. Then he falls short and he messes up and Samuel says, no, 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 no. One greater than David is going to come. And his reign will be characterized by justice and peace and prosperity. And he will reign forever. Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 11, the prophet says, David's descendants, they keep messing up. They keep failing. It can't be any of these that are currently in his time. But then he looks ahead and he says, one day a child will be born. A son is given and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And in 11, he says, it's going to be a stump from the root of Jesse and of his reign. There will be no end. But in Isaiah 53, he says that one is going to come and he's going to reign by suffering because we need that Passover lamb. And it's going to be by his stripes, Isaiah 53, that our wounds are healed. The thread of prophecy in the Psalms starts in Psalm 2 about a future king who's going to come. Psalm 72, it's going to be one that all the other kings bow down to, the forever king in Psalm 89, who shines like the sun. 
The prophet Daniel tells a story in chapter three about how there's three men, three servants of God get thrown into a fire, but then a fourth one shows up in there and protects them and keeps them from being consumed. And just a couple chapters later in Daniel seven, you see Daniel saying one is gonna come, a son of man who's gonna come from the ancient of days. He's gonna come rolling in on a cloud and there will be given to him an everlasting dominion over all peoples. The prophet Ezekiel talks about a savior king who will have the power of God, the very creative power of God to breathe life into an entire valley of dry bones. The prophet Zephaniah calls God a warrior king who will come to redeem his people from their sin and bring them back to himself. And the prophet Malachi talks about the day when the sun will rise and will bring healing with it in its wings. The entire story of scripture is pointing to one who is to come. It's groaning and it's waiting for the Savior King, the suffering servant, kinsman, redeemer, true lamb, wisdom, ancient of days, son of Eve, who can bring victory over sin and death and with it bring hope to God's weary people. And it's the one, if we're honest, we instinctively feel we need as humans in our moments of honesty. When the world is sweeping over us, We need a close shepherd who will cover and protect us. Give us life and love that can't be betrayed and can't be taken away. When success doesn't satisfy, we need to admit and we finally admit we need one who can satisfy us. When those escapes stop numbing all of that pressure and pain around us, we need one that we can cast our burdens on. And by the time of this encounter on a dusty road in the first century, the anointed one has been called. All of those things have been summarized in this one title, Messiah. And translated into English is Christ. The people are saying he's another prophet. Another one sent by God to say one day that guy's coming. And listen to me. Every single one in this group of these disciples, they know all that history I just shared with you. They've been learning this inside and out since they were old enough to sit on somebody's knee and hear the story of their people. They know that there are prophets and they know there is the Messiah the prophets are talking about. Verse 29, but you, he asked them, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? It is not an overstatement to say this is the question on which Christianity hangs. This is the define the relationship question. Is he just another prophet or is he more? Is he God's promised savior king? Peter answers him, you are the Messiah. I want you to try and imagine and and put put yourself into Peter's shoes and, and think of the avalanche of excitement an emotion that has to be sweeping over this group of guys right now. You're him. You're the one. We've been hearing about you since we were born, and our people have been hearing about you for generations. We've been talking about you for a long time. In fact, the next verse, Jesus is going to say, y'all got to keep quiet, all right? This is not the time to shout it from the rooftops because I've got a plan in place. But listen, you are the Messiah. This is the confession of every true Christian. And I want to just sit here for a second and I want to explain who Jesus is and I want to explain that confession. Here's the confession. Jesus is the Messiah and the Messiah is God's promised savior king. This is the heartbeat of our faith. 
So let me break that down for you. Here's, I told you, we're going to get crystal clear on who he is. I'm going to tell you that Jesus is our God, he's our Savior, and he's our King. Listen, Jesus is our God. He's not just, this is amazing truth. He's not just the one God sent. He is God the Son. Sent by God the Father as the Savior King promised to bring redemption to God's people. And one of the more offensive parts of the gospel is that he does not claim to be one among many gods. He claims to be God and God alone. He claims to be Emmanuel, God with us. But I want you to hear, this brings incredible comfort to us. Because when God planned for your life and my life, he knew we would need a savior. And his love is so intense for you. And your need is so great that he didn't leave it up to a prophet to save you. No, God himself came for you to rescue you and redeem you, to heal you, to lift you out of the shame and darkness that you were bound up in. He didn't send another David because David might fail again. No, he himself came just as he promised. And listen, if he's God, if he's God, listen, that means his character is unchanging. And if he was faithful to you on the cross, you can trust him to be faithful to you now. You can trust what Lamentations 3 says, that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Great is his faithfulness and there are mercies new every morning from him. All this is true if Jesus is God, but he's not just God. He's our savior. If Jesus is the Messiah, he's God's promised savior king. <laughs> Listen, there's simple logic right here, right? A savior is only needed if there's a need to save. That makes sense? And I say that because a recent study um, came out this uh, 2018, okay? So it's a couple years old, but came out 2018. Lifeway Research put this thing together, surveyed a whole bunch of Americans and found that 76% of Americans believe that Jesus is the savior of the world, which I found was a lot higher than what I was expecting. But then here's the next question they asked right after it. They found that 56% of Americans don't believe they need saving from their sin. All right. But I thought this was incredibly insightful into the American psyche. Let me explain. Our culture feels some kind of reverence for Jesus, just not a need for him. That's what that's saying. And maybe you've been in church for a while, been around for a while, and you're like, yeah, Jesus is great, but calm down. (laughs) What's the big deal? Listen to me. This claim that he is the Messiah. If you're going to join with Peter and the disciples and with the church throughout history, what you're saying is that he's the Savior. And if he's the Savior, then you must be in need of saving. And that right there is the offensive, difficult place that you got to get to if you're going to believe Jesus is who he says he is. When Paul says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, are you counting yourself in the all like God does? The payment for sin is death, but the gift of God is a savior. It's salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. While we were still in sin, he dies for us so that we might be reconciled to God. You have to receive it, but you have to believe you need it in order to receive it. Are you there? Do you believe him? That brings me right to our last part, by the way. You can't have savior without 
king when it comes to the Messiah, when it comes to Jesus. Jesus is our God, Jesus is our Savior, and Jesus is our king. Listen, the reason sin matters. I find that most people, when I say, are you a sinner? I actually do find most people are okay with saying, yeah, I don't live a perfect life, right? And maybe that's probably where you are. But the reason our sin matters is because it is against, according to the Christian teaching from the Bible, it's against the king of the universe. If Jesus is the one who is king, well, then we have to give an account to him. This is where the gospel starts. All right, listen, there was a number of years ago, a um, famous pastor up in the Midwest, he did a survey, um, like a big one in his whole community, Uh, just from people specifically, survey of people who didn't go to church, trying to get a feel for why don't they go to church. Said the number one reason by a long shot was that people just felt like it was irrelevant, right? Like how, I don't understand how church will be relevant to my life. That makes a lot of sense to me. But what happened is that for many churches in response to that, as that survey got national attention and everything, many church, for many churches, God started to become nothing more than a means to an end. So let's try and make God relevant. So God will be your way to a better family, to better sex, to a more fulfilling career, to your best life now, to a way kind of like a, when you die, you'll know that you're going to have a really good afterlife. Listen, it's not that those things are bad, they're good, but they all have one thing in common. Their focus is you. God has become, in many settings, like the ultimate spiritual super Walmart. Like, he's got everything, you name it, you can get it all at the one-stop God Mart. You go to him when you need something, and you live the rest of your life without him. In fact, some of you can go further than that, and he's not so much a Walmart as he has a fire department. And you only go to him when your whole world's on fire. This is the same problem. That's not where the gospel starts. The gospel starts with the fact that Jesus is Lord. And you and I have lived in rebellion against him. We've traded his authority and his prominence in our lives for our own prominence and authority. We have become Lord. And because of that, his righteous anger burns against us. And we stand justly condemned from the true king that we've rebelled against. And so we're in need of a savior. Y'all, everything else we talk about is built on this foundation and idea that Jesus is king. I mean, think about it. If Jesus is not king, then what even is sin? What's the big deal about it? If there's no sin, there's no need of salvation. You know, Christians are like, hey, you need to be saved. And culture says back from what? Well, if God doesn't exist and Jesus isn't the promised Savior King, they got a great point. But if he is the Messiah, then we got to join with Peter and the rest and not say what others might say, but we got to join and say, you are the Christ, the Messiah. Y'all, I know from emails and from calls and messages, there are people watching this today who don't identify as Christian. I want you to know, I'm very honored by that. I'm honored that you not only would take the time to engage this, but would really open your mind and your heart to consider it. And I know what you run into a lot, I know I have, and I imagine you have, is that the Christian faith ends up getting a lot of attention around hot button issues instead of around what we're really all about, right? So we'll get attention around things like gay marriage, abortion, creation versus evolution, And these become the arguments for the validity of the Christian faith. 
What I'm telling you is none of that matters if Jesus isn't the Messiah. I'm not saying they don't matter at all. I'm saying deal with Jesus first. Look at Jesus. Deal with him first. Walk with him through the pages just of the gospel of Mark. And if he's not the Messiah, then don't worry yourself with what Christians say about all these other things. But if he is the Messiah then we must submit to him and trust that in the other arenas of life, he has created an abundant life for us now, John 10, 10, that is better for us than what we would build on our own. The question of whether or not Jesus is the Messiah is everything. If he isn't, we Christians are fools. But if he is, then he is Lord of all. And he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Right? We can't pick and choose what parts of his commandments we're going to follow 8 out of 10 or something like that. We're just right back at the spiritual super Walmart. Some, I'll give you some examples. I know you might be like, yes, I believe Jesus is king, but he needs to stay away from my money. It's not going to work. Maybe you don't tithe, even though it's a clear directive from your Lord. Why? It's because he's not really king for you. You revere him, but don't feel like you need him. Some of you are like, Jesus is king, but his sexual ethic is outdated, so I'm in charge there. Well, he's not king. He's either king of all or not king at all. Listen, how about this? Some of you might say, Jesus is king, but I'm not letting my children become missionaries unless it's to a really nice place where they love Christians and like poop ice cream, like some idealized society somewhere, right? Listen, What I hear you saying is Jesus is your king, just not their king, not your kid's king. It's not easy to put your full yes on the table before Jesus. This is why C.S. Lewis said a long time ago, we don't go to God as, you know, average people trying to become better people or good people. No, we have to come to God as rebels laying down our arms in full surrender to the true king. But the promise Here's the promise, is that the, the illustration takes on another angle, according to Luke 16. And that's that when we come to him, he opens his arms wide and says, come home, daughter, come home, son, I love you. I love you. And life with me is greater than it could ever be apart from me. And when we join with the disciples and with our whole hearts declare Jesus is the Messiah. When we believe that we are sinners, we needed someone. We needed the Passover lamb to die in our place. We needed someone, the suffering servant, who by his stripes we are healed. When we see that we did need that, that's not just old theology. That is a real present predicament that each one of us are in. And when we see that, that Jesus was the one who went up and died in our place as a payment for our sin, Oh, all the burden of trying to make other things our savior starts to be lifted. Your career doesn't have to be your savior anymore. Your success doesn't have to define you. Your digital social media footprint, man, it doesn't have to define you anymore. You don't have to troll for likes just so you can go to bed feeling okay about yourself. Your kid's success doesn't have to be your savior anymore, right? They can 
mess up and just be your kids and you can just be their parents because the weight of the world that you handed them that should have never been on them anyways has now been lifted and put onto Christ. Your body image doesn't have to be your savior. Your bank account doesn't have to be your savior. Your addiction doesn't have to be your savior. When Christ is your savior, everything else starts to find healing and purpose and clarity around him. It's not a short process, all right? But there is incredible healing, incredible healing in the presence and and in abiding in Christ and making your home in him because he's the one who's able to carry your soul and nothing else will. Listen, this changes everything. This confession of Peter, which is the confession of all the disciples, that you are the Messiah. We're going to talk more next week about how he draws the line and sends it. Okay, now, where are you going to stand? Are you willing to sacrifice everything? But I know you've heard enough in these words right here to say, okay, is this me? Do, is this something that I confess? Do I actually believe he is the Messiah? Am I willing to say he's Lord of all of it, not just of some parts? Listen, this kind of breaks down two ways. If you're not a Christian, I think the call of God, I know the call of God to you today is to surrender, to lay down the arms, lay down the weapons of a rebel and surrender to your king. Receive the salvation that he's, that he's offering you and say, yes, God, I, I'm gonna, this is hard. This means I'm laying down my pride, laying down my plans for my life, giving over everything to you, but I'm yours. And I know to many who would say they're Christians that are watching this, listen, I know this is me too. Jesus is king. We're quick to confess that. But there's spots in our lives that we are not ready to let go of. And you're hearing what Peter said. You are the Messiah, which means you are the Savior King. This is why when we baptize someone, we ask them not only do you believe, is Jesus, has he done everything necessary to save you? Yes. Are you willing to go wherever he tells you to go and do whatever he tells you to do? Because he's your king. And maybe there's an area in your life where the way you're living and what he's calling you to are in conflict. You know it. Will you trust him enough that he is a good sovereign king who loves you, a father who loves you, and who has abundant life for you now, better life than what you can make for yourself. Will you trust him enough to yield that to him? Let me pray for you and guide you through that prayer as we close. Would you pray, God, I, today, maybe it's you're praying this again. Maybe you've been out of church a long time and you just needed to be reminded of the incredible love of the Father towards you that he'd send Jesus, the Savior. You say, God... I'm coming back home today. There's this area of my life. Maybe it's money, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's kids, maybe it's work, whatever, you know it. But I've been holding on to it. But I can't hold on to that and you be the Messiah. So I'm giving it up to you. Do with it what you will, I'm yours. God, I'm choosing to believe Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. I need saving. I believe that he died for me. I'm receiving 
his salvation. Thank you, Father, for your grace. Oh, for your grace on us. We together, as the body of Christ, we confess you are the Messiah. And we worship you, our promised Savior King, who has come for us. We celebrate and we praise you and we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.